Welcome back to the Pittsburgh Sports Cast, uh, where two college students discuss all things Pittsburgh sports all year round. My name is Ryan. And I'm Chris. And uh, this will be uh, episode number five, I believe. Um, and uh, t- today we uh, aren't going to be talking about uh, you know things currently going on. But uh, we thought we might take you back to uh, some simpler times and um, go through the top five Pittsburgh sports moments that happened in our lifetime. So a real uh, interesting uh, story uh, behind the concept of this. Uh, we originally went into this doing, uh, we each d- were going to do an individual top 10 list of our own favorite Pittsburgh sports moments because we figured we probably had you know, different tastes uh, and different emotions and, you know, everything meant different to us. But we we found out that our top five was mostly the same and it was in that six through ten range that we were different. So we decided that together we'd have a top five that we were going to go over and then Chris and I are going to go through some honorable mentions that we each thought were important for various reasons. Uh, so, with that, let us get started. Um, I have quite a few honorable mentions to, uh, as does, uh, Chris, but I thought I would just start out with my first honorable mention. So, setting the stage, uh, this is the 2008 Stanley Cup Final. Um, this is just the third year in the league of Sidney Crosby, the second year of Evgeny Malkin. Uh, of course, his rookie year, I think we won 18 games. And uh, the year after that, we managed to make the playoffs, only to get bounced in five by the Ottawa Senators. Uh, but 2008 came along, and we kind of we kind of surprised the, uh, the league a bit. We won the Atlantic Division. Uh, we went through the team that beat us, the Ottawa Senators. Then we beat the New York Rangers in five games. Thanks to uh, Marion Hosta overtime goal. That's not the honorable mention here. Uh, we then beat the uh, Philadelphia Flyers in the Eastern Conference Final. And it all came down to the Stanley Cup Final against the Detroit Red Wings. And so uh, it was really, really an unfortunate series. Uh, we were down three games to one, but game five happened. And the reason that this makes my list or of honorable mention is simply because uh, it, it's a it, it holds a very key place in my mind because uh, my dad and I actually went to the uh, old Civic Arena, um, watched the game on the Jumbotron with about uh, 10 to 12,000 other people. Um, the game was in Detroit, so we were able to do that. And uh, I just remember, I think it was at that point the latest I had ever stayed up for uh, game. Uh, it was getting towards the end of regulation. The Penguins were down. But of all people, Max Talbot pokes it in with less than a minute to go and ties it, keeps this season alive. And I just remember the explosion in the arena when the puck went in. I've not been to many playoff games and championship moments, unfortunately. But this this would have to be the next best thing because the eruption and the emotion that uh, was exploding all around me is probably the loudest I've ever felt uh, a sporting facility or a stadium ever be. Um, Unfortunately, although we did win the game in triple overtime, Peter Sikora actually called that he was gonna score and then he did it. Unfortunately, the series came back to the igloo and we lost the next game. But I think it uh, really set the stage for the following year, which we'll get more into later. Uh, but that's my first honorable mention. Uh, Chris, what about your first honorable mention? Well, two things off of yours. Um, just for people who may not have realized, the Atlantic Division back then is not the same Atlantic Division that it is today. Um, because of conference alignment and things like that. Oh, so, yeah. So the Atlantic that you see in like the modern 2020 NHL did not exist back then. So there were different teams and the entire player system was different. Also, if you're younger, you may not know this, but Detroit was once in the Western Conference. So that's why we met in the Stanley Cup. If you're confused as to why 
that is why Detroit was once in the West before conference realignment where they got brought over to the East. Um, so that's just some bookkeeping notes so people don't realize that. Yep. Thanks for clarifying um, that, Chris. Yep. Now, my first honorable mention is Detroit Palomalu sack against the Baltimore Ravens on Sunday Night Football. I think that's just an iconic moment. Uh, I think it spoke to Troy Polamalu's greatness um, because there's no question he is great. He's the first ballot Hall of Famer, one of the best, probably the best field of safety of all time. Um, and it just showed, you know, it was against the Ravens in the height of our rivalry where it was either one of us was winning the division, one of us was going to the Super Bowl. Um, Actually, might have even been the year, correct me if I'm wrong, was the year we went to Super Bowl 43, I think. I think it was 45, the year we lost to the Packers. It was one of the Super Bowl years Yeah, that he made that play. Baltimore was trying to get the division, we were trying to get the division. It was Sunday Night Football, everyone was watching, it was a highly competitive game. And Baltimore had the lead, and they had the ball late in the fourth, and Troy just just kind of came on um, on a blitz. No one saw him. And, and strip sacked uh, Flacco, where then Lamar Woodley uh, picked it up and ran it in for a touchdown, and the Steelers ultimately won that game. Uh, when, as we kind of stated before, went to the Super Bowl, ultimately lost against the Green Bay Packers. Um, but I think it was just a pivotal moment in the Super Bowl run um, season where the, the country watched, and it was just Troy Polamalu being Troy Polamalu. I think it's a great honorable mention. Oh, yeah. All right. So now going to my uh, second honorable mention. It's a bit more recent. Um, This is uh, 2015. Uh, This is the uh, my uh, top uh, pit football moment that I have um, living memory of. Uh, So this was a very monumental day in pit football, obviously. 2000 was the last year that the Keystone Clash, Pitt versus Penn State, had occurred. I was uh, less than a year old when that happened, so this was really my first taste of what was once a legendary rivalry in the annals of college football, and I think I really, I really hate it that it's gone now, but, um... You know, I think that that wait to finally see Pitt versus Penn State, just that in itself was was really cool. And then to add to that matter, it was such a great game. That first game it was at Heinz Field. There were over 60, 68,000 people there. I do believe it remains to this day the highest attended sporting event in the history of Pittsburgh. Um, the hype for that game, I know Penn State fans like to call it uh uh, Pizza Super Bowl or whatever, but it really did feel like a big deal or as much of a big deal as a I think they even moved the kickoff to 3.30 and put it on uh, network television on ABC. So they really had a lot of national hype and for Pitt football in recent years to have a game of that national following was incredible. And then of course, the famous scoreline at the end of the game, 42-39 Pitt came out on top and shut down all of the Penn State haters and that was just so amazing because they spent 15 years talking about how it wasn't a rivalry because they would destroy us and we came in there and said "Uh, uh, uh-uh-uh we can take you down and we can hang with you and uh it even where it got even sweeter was in the aftermath of the moment because Penn State of course they weren't ranked uh at that time but they went on a tear and uh, they went uh, nine or ten and one in the fi- in the rest over the rest of the season. They finished with a uh, with an eleven and two record after they won the Big Ten. And um, I really felt confident because that year we had we were the reason that Penn State was not in the college football playoff. And I thought that that was pretty awesome that we had that leg up on them. Um, unfortunately. Um, the next three games weren't as well for us. Uh, 2016 and 17 weren't really close. And then, uh, you know, the 20, the last game 
uh, was just really frustrating because we had so many chances in that game and we couldn't end the series with a win. But I think that 42-39 was worth those other three losses. Uh, don't get me wrong, I really wanted to win that game, but that was such a satisfying victory after all that waiting and all that anticipation. See, I, I disagree with you a little bit, and here's why. Um, first of all, we didn't keep them out of the playoff. That was Michigan. Michigan beat them 42-3. Even if, I know, I know Penn State went on to win the Big Ten and whatnot, but the committee was not going to let a team that lost 42-3 in the playoff. And there's certain a history of if you get blown up, you blown out, you don't get in. Um, you see Ohio State, and I think it was 2019, got blown up by Purdue. And um, I was blown by Iowa. I think they were blown up by Iowa, and um, and they weren't allowed in, and they went like 12 and one or something. But Iowa beat them, and they weren't allowed. And there's a couple other teams who got blown out late, and um, the committee wouldn't let them in. So I don't think Penn State would have gotten just because Michigan, you know, annihilated them in this fashion that they did. And also, Pitt was favored. Like if you look and Google it, like Pitt was favored to win that game. Um, Pitt had a good record. Pitt was almost ranked. They were like the first or second team that wasn't ranked. And it was at Heinz Field. So Pitt was favored. So it's hard for me, and I understand where you're coming from, but it's hard for me to sit there and say it's an honorable mention when we were favored and we won. And like I said, I think in my opinion, Michigan's what kept them out, not us. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's a whole debate you could have of if Penn State beats us and they still lose by that to Michigan, but they win the Big Ten. If if you if you leave out a one-loss Big Ten champion, um, because remember that the team that got in ahead of them was Ohio State. Ohio State, a but team, Ohio State a had the head-to-head. Yes, exactly. And I, I mean, obviously, if if Penn State had beat Michigan, no, no. No debate, they get in over Ohio State. Right. But I think if they beat Pitt, they probably do get in over Ohio State. Even even though they did get crushed by Michigan, I think that the head-to-head victory over Ohio State and having the best record in the Big Ten, or having the best overall record of all teams in the Big Ten, I think that would have superseded um, Ohio State's resume. But that's a, that's a debate for another time. Um, we could talk about that all day. Um, we have a few more honorable mentions to get to, so let's go right on ahead. Um, and then I just had the really Parker center five yard touchdown run in Super Bowl forty. Um, is this a big play? A momentum, a momentum swinger at the time it was the longest uh, touchdown play by running back. Um, you know, just switch momentum. Steals won that game comfortably. Um, just there's an integral moment in a Super Bowl victory. Great. All right. My next, my next honorable mention. Um, this is um, another one that might be uh, controversial, but uh, it was in the middle of July. It was 2015. Uh, the Pirates were um, one of the two best teams in baseball um, at that time, um, and they were facing off against the nemesis for the Pirates during those three years. Uh, the St. Louis Cardinals, and uh, it was really fun watching that game on Saturday. The Cardinals had taken the league. Um, they were they had taken the lead, and the Pirates had to come back three times. They had to come back once in the eighth inning, and uh, and then once in the tenth inning, and then again in the fourteenth inning when Andrew McCutcheon won the walk off home run. And if that wasn't enough, the very next night, Sunday Night Baseball, um, as Pirates fans, anytime anytime the Pirates are on Sunday Night Baseball, it's always a treat to watch because you very rarely get to watch your team with that sort of national spotlight on you. Um, one of the games of the one of the best games in the history of PNC Park. Um, Cardinals go up uh, by two runs in the uh, extra innings. Uh, the Pirates, they come back and tie it, and then Gregory Polanco finishes it off with a walk-off single. I think, um, unfortunately, I mean, I know it's an honorable mention, but it does kind of, it is kind of tainted by the fact that the Pirates 
not only won, not only came up short in the overall race for the division, but also lost the wild card in one game. But that moment, um, isolated from the rest of that season, is still, in my view, pretty special. I know most most people will disagree, but I just that was just a game where I just have fond memories watching live on TV and just remembering fondly better times in the days of Pirates baseball that I will hopefully get to live again one day. And oh, hopefully, yeah, yeah, we could go into another rant right now, but. I'm not feeling it, especially after the rant we had on Monday. <laughs> um, I don't know. Like, I think you touched it. Like, the, how that season ended kind of ruins this moment for me. Yeah. Like, it's so special, but oh no, it's not because you still didn't get the division. Oh, and also then you lose the next game and don't even get to the playoffs. And now the team sucks. So yeah. it's hard for me to get excited about that. Yeah, I just remember the excitement. It's unfortunately, it it was that roller coaster where you're at the top of the hill, and then you can you you spend the next however many months plummeting back down to earth. Months, years. Well, I mean, well, in those next months, and then you can't even get you get a muster enough energy to get back up the hill these past few years. That's the point because, yeah. So that's that's my third honorable mention. Um, moving right along, Chris. Um, the Evgeny Malkin hat trick in the 2009 playoffs against the Carolina Hurricanes. Um, you know, it was at home. Uh, Gino absolutely took that game over. Uh, we swept the Carolina Hurricanes on the way to winning our first Stanley Cup since 1992. Uh, great memories. Uh, crowd was electric. Um, yeah. We get really great. Uh, you remember that, that wicked backhand goal? Yeah. Uh, that tough angle that he roofed. Oh, Cam, War- Cam Ward didn't know what hit him. <sighs> like, Cam. that, it, it was one of those, like, I think that moment in that series was like, okay, this is over. Yeah. Like, that- Gino did that. It was like, okay, this, Carolina can't compete. Even like, Carolina was, was just like, what do you do? Yeah. Like, what do you do? <laughs> Alright, uh, I have a couple more honorable mentions. Um, this one I just put on, even though it's technically not Pittsburgh sports, I put it on because it's it's one of it's the only big moment that I was able to witness live in attendance. Um, Dustin Johnson winning the 2016 US Open at Oakmont. Um, I followed I uh, followed the group in front of him, which was the last group. Uh, DJ was in the second to last group. I uh, followed the last group. Uh, up through the front nine um although funny i i was able because i was kind of jumping ahead of the pack during a particularly crowded hole i was able to witness dustin johnson's infamous penalty on the sixth hole and uh is you know got to wonder what the conversation with the rules official was like there uh but then on the back nine i followed dustin johnson's group got to witness his charge at the end to put the tournament away even uh even though he didn't even know what his score was which is really interesting it was a very very unusual tournament um man oakmont Oakmont is rough seeing the pros struggle the way they did was incredible like i was the reason i was able to watch that live is because i was able to volunteer as a standard bearer so if you see those guys out on the course those kids that carry the score sign uh, showing what the player scores are. Uh, I was one of those for a couple of rounds. Uh, unfortunately, I wasn't with any of the leaders, but um, really watching those people got got me to really understand how difficult that course was. Uh, it took a seasoned golf pro about three shots to get out of the church pews. It was ridiculous. One guy hit a ball. It got stuck in the rough, and the rough at Oakmont is so high that it took them 10 people including myself and five minutes to find it and mere rough not even the high hazard fescue uh but just being able to witness such a moment like that live that's just the only reason why I made it an honorable mention um not Pittsburgh sports but something I'll always have yeah um my moment as when Pitt, and this actually, unlike your moment, kept West Virginia from the championship because they were ranked number one in the country. 
And this is during the backyard brawl um, era, where Pitt and West Virginia played every year in one of the most heated rivalry games. And West Virginia was number one undefeated coming into the game. And Pitt upset them at their ho- or in their house, um, 13-9, keeping them from the BCS uh, championship game. I think it was an electric moment. No one expected Pitt to upset the number one team in the country. Um, but they were upset, and West Virginia has never even come close to getting back to that point, which makes me really happy because I hate West Virginia University with a passion. <laughs> um, so, so I'm glad that they never got back. Um, yeah. So this, that was the closest that they had ever come to a national championship, and for Pitt to be the ones to utterly deny them makes me uh, happy. Yeah, I, uh, I, I think I would have had this in my list if I was a bit older, and uh, because I was seven years old at that point, and like I, I knew that the, at that point I was able to comprehend that the backyard brawl was a big deal and that we beat our rival. But the fact that we denied them the national championship is not something I really comprehended until a few years later, looking back on it, and then that's when really the implications of what we did on that fateful night in uh, November 2007 really sunk in um but yeah it was um that must have been really really awesome to watch watch live um that was a Wanstead era too Pit 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 finished 5 and 7 that year oh we had an awful year I think Pat White, who was a West Virginia quarterback oh, at the yes. time, was like a Heisman favorite. Um, like I said, they're undefeated. They're number one. Um, yeah, and Pitt sucked. <laughs> but not that game, they didn't. Yeah, they, 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 I knew, I, see, that was another reason why I didn't really get it at that point, because I knew that I knew that six wins meant bowl eligibility, and I knew that since we couldn't get bowl eligible, I figured the game was just meaningless. But... Looking back on it now, I realize how how big that win was. All right, uh, just one more honorable mention here from me. Um, this is probably the most recent great Pirates memory. The only really, really great Pirates memory uh, that people of my generation and your generation, Chris, uh, can really remember. Uh, you know, obviously, I was born 1999. Chris, you were born in 97. So both of us, uh, we hadn't really gotten to experience good Pirates baseball. Um, I never will again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Um, but it was, in total for the team, it was 21 years since they had even won more games than they had lost. And finally... Finally, the jigsaw puzzle came together in spite of our incompetent owner and all of our terrible management, which I will hopefully not divulge into a rant. Bear with me here. Um, But in spite of all that, we were able to overcome the odds and win 94 games and make the wild card where we faced our hated rivals, the Cincinnati Reds. Which made it even sweeter because during those three years of good times, Pirates-Reds games were always bad blood filled. Even today, remember that big brawl that happened last year? Yeah. Between the Pirates With, uh, and the Reds? Who was the guy who punched Trevor Williams? What was his name? Yeah, that was uh, uh, Amir Garrett. Amir Garrett, yeah. Yeah, he just wanted to, he just tried to fight the whole team. The whole yeah, team. Like, so yeah, like, that's a rivalry that despite the Pirates sucking, um, continues through to today. And this was one of the big moments, obviously. So the Pirates had already gone up one nothing thanks to a Marlon Bird home run. Can't even get to you about how awesome Marlon, Marlon Bird is. He, only, he was only with the team for a month, but he's one of my favorite Pirates ever. He's just awesome. Um, so Marlon Bird homers, and then Russell Martin comes up. And I think at that point, it was just the frustration and... All that pent up anxiety and just emotion that Pirates fans had held on to for 21 years just exploded with that famous Cueto chant that uh, miraculously was able to come out in unison because 
sports fans typically don't have the best rhythm and most chants that end up being started end up just being a bunch of muffled gibberish that you can't understand but it was completely recognizable what the fans were able to get out the Cueto chant and it was impromptu not prompted by scoreboards or by anybody or any sort of artificial sound system but it was this organic moment of pure you know fandom and it was just so poetic the very next pitch after that chant started of course russell martin hits a home run um i i completely skipped over when coito dropped the ball which was hilarious right before that next pitch coito um coito and the reds claimed that it wasn't because of the fans but i i i hesitate to think that if, if you say the fans had no part in Quato dropping the ball, there's no way. All right. Yeah. Well, um, even, even if they hypothetically he's right and they didn't, that only spurred them on. Exactly. Because everyone watching that game, when Quato drops the ball, you know, thinks, oh, it's because of the crowd. Because the crowd was going ballistic, as you said. Um, and, um... You know, when he drops the ball, it only feeds into the crowd because they think what they're doing is working, so they only get louder. It's it's like when, in football, you're playing a really difficult road game and a really important road game against a really good team. And then your offense begins to have false start penalties, right? Because then the crowd thinks, oh, they're having false start because they can't hear the cadence because we're so loud, let's get louder. And then the more, more false starts you have, the more the louder the noise gets, right? Because now the crowd believes that they're impacting the game. And when the crowd believes they're impacting, you, you know they're going 110, 120% because they know they can, you know, influence how this game goes. And it's the same concept. And then I don't think I ever heard PNC so loud yeah. when Martin hits the home run. And, and then you think now... Even before, if you didn't think the crowd had an influence, now you do because not only does he drop the ball, they pick the channel up again, and then he hits a home run. On the He's next like, pitch. Okay. Yeah, on the next pitch. And then the crowd thinks, oh, we're in this dude's head for sure. Yeah. At that at that point, that was when I knew there was no way the Pirates were going to lose that game. It was... It's one of the... It's, it's probably the only moment of that three-year run where I can look back on it and smile um, and just remember it for what it is. Because that moment where I talked about before of uh, that double comeback in 15 and any, uh, there were plenty of good moments such as that one through those three years. But aside, like aside from that Cueto moment, that moment in the playoffs, you know, every other time you look back on it, you can't help but shed a tear because you look at what this team is now and you can't help but break down and cry. Um, <laughs> but, but, that, but that moment, you can just look at it and you can just smile and just, you know, at least we had that. That was incredible. Um, of course, I, I wasn't able to attend it, unfortunately, but several sports writers who were there and several fans who were there have said that they had been to Super Bowls, AFC Championships, Heinz Field, uh, college football atmospheres, Penguins, Stanley Cup finals, and they said that despite being there for all of those, never had they felt such a vibrant and such an electric atmosphere than that stadium at that game in that moment. And I just, you know, man, you know, sucks that the Pirates are bad again. Oh, well. <laughs> You're so depressed now. Yeah, I know. Oh, man. Um, but so those are our honorable mentions. Uh, now it's time to get into what we personally feel to believe are the top five moments in Pittsburgh sports in the years that we have been around to witness them as they happened. Um, so, Chris, why don't you take it away with uh, number five? OK, 
Marquette, number five, will be Troy Polamalu's interception in the AFC Championship game that he returned for a touchdown against the Baltimore Ravens in our Super Bowl 43 run. Um, despite what people say about the Pirates in that crowd, I think this was the loudest crowd in Pittsburgh history. Um, because it went from 0 to 100 so fast. I mean, if you watch the replay of that game, I mean, of that play, the Steelers are, are loud, I mean, the crowd's loud trying to affect it, and then they go silent as the play develops. And then when Palomalu picks him, then the crowd just, and it, it's a roar that if you just listen to it for the roar, will send chills down your spine. I mean, it is unbelievable. And then he returns it. Again, Palomalu, as we mentioned earlier, the greatest safety in Pittsburgh Steeler history. There's another moment what made him great. Um, right when we needed the play, um, when Baltimore was trying to get back into the game, trying to get to the Super Bowl and the championship game at Hinesfield, Palomalu denies him and returns it to put the final dagger in the heart of the Baltimore Ravens, who we have played now three times. And that season, we had beat them three times to let them know whose division it was, because it was ours. And not only was the division ours, the league was ours, because as stated earlier, we won the Super Bowl that year. And, and I think it's just a, a wonderful moment, because that Ravens team you know, had Ray Lewis, Ed Reed, um, you know, Joe Flacco, um, Ray Rice before he got himself kicked out of the league. <laughs> Um, it's just, it's a great game, um, a phenomenal, one of the greatest moments, obviously, I, not even in our lifetime, I think there's in Pittsburgh sports lifetime, Definitely. uh, it, it was, it was huge. And then, this moment in Heinz Field history. Yeah, and then he made that other play, if you remember, early in the game, where they had a fourth and one, and they were going for a QB sneak, and I don't know if you, Cower broke the, pl- no, Tomlin, because he was good, broke the play down. And so Tomlin had, I mean, not Tomlin, Palomalu had the running back and man the man. And the running back's going in motion, and Palomalu just stops, gets over, and jumps over the pile and stops Flacco from converting. It's man, just a phenomenal player. Phenomenal plays. Obviously a top five moment. Yeah. Uh, what, did, uh, did they vote him in the Hall of Fame this year? Yeah, he's first ballot. Uh, thank goodness that would have been a travesty, uh, but man, I just remember I remember watching that with uh, at my at my grandma's house. Uh, God rest her soul. But uh, but uh, I remember everyone uh, just watching I the game you're live. Trying not to laugh. You shouldn't have brought her into it. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but uh, so. Uh, I just remember everyone just erupting and just going, go, go, Troy, go. It was, it was so just awesome. It was like, it was like we were, it was like we were there live almost because I'll tell you what, it's not, it's not that often where I can get together and watch a sporting event with, um, multiple people. Um, obviously I'm not 21, so I can't go to like a bar and do that, but, um, it's, it's really awesome because it's all, it's the next best thing to being there live because you have other people to share in the jubilation or the heartbreak, but hopefully jubilation. And in that case, jubilation. Um, but that was my memory of that moment. All right, going on to number four. Uh, so this is the 2017 Eastern Conference Final. Uh it was a hard-fought battle against the uh, Ottawa Senators. I do believe this was a series where we made our goalie change. Is that correct? From yes. Flurry, so Flurry. Yeah, from Flurry to Murray. Flurry to Murray. So that was that was really cool. Uh, unfortunately, that means this is the series in which Flurry played his last moments as a Pittsburgh Penguin. Um, but uh, so it was all tight towards the end. The Penguins took the lead a few times, but the Senators came back, tied the game. Uh, went into overtime and double overtime. There were several close moments. I remember one instance where the puck went on top of the goal 
and everyone thought the Pens won, but they didn't quite. But it was double overtime, and in the end of the day, Chris Kunitz gets the one-timer, and it goes end over end into the back of the net, and the Penguins move on to the Stanley Cup Final for the second straight year. Of course, they would beat the Nashville Predators in six. Um, But I just remember that game. I think it's the most stressed I've ever been watching a hockey game, man. It was just... It was was, was made so much worse. The fact that if you watch the highlights of that game, that game was tied for 98% of that game. Man. It's awful. Like, we took the lead, and I think Ottawa would spawn in, like, five minutes, and then we grabbed it again, and Ottawa responded, I think, in two minutes that time to make it 2-2. And then that overtime. Remember Kessel hit a post? Yeah. I think Kessel's shot is the one that went also on top of the net where half the stadium, I mean, the arena thought it went in. Yeah. And then, like, it was one of those things where, again, if you rewatch the game or highlights, we dominated we utterly dominated those two overtimes, but the longer they went, the more I was concerned, like, we're dominating. Ottawa only needs one chance. Because it was game seven. Because that was game yep. seven. Do or die. It was do or die. And, I, and the longer that game went, I'm like, Ottawa just needs one chance. Even though we dominated them and had so many. And then Anderson was standing on his head, making saves out of his mind. And it was just like, oh no, we are crushing them. But Anderson standing on his head, they just need one chance and it's over. But luckily, Kunitz, Kunitz ripped it by him. He never saw it. Yeah. I just, and on to the fifth cup. That, yeah, that was so stressful. I, I don't think I, I don't even think I sat down, intermissions included, like starting from the second period till the end of the game. I don't <laughs> think I ever sat down. I was in my living room, which makes it even weirder. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was just crazy. Made oh, it and when- you want to talk about loud crowd noises? Oh, dude, go! Yeah, he scored that one. Yeah, probably one of the one of the best hockey moments to happen in Pittsburgh. Of course, none of the Cup wins have been at home. All have no, been on the road. All, all of them, right? All five have been. Yeah, all five of them. We. One game six in Minnesota in 91, one game four in Chicago in 92, one game seven in Detroit in 09, which we'll get to later, one game six in San Jose, and then one game six in Nashville. So the last Pittsburgh sports team actually to win uh, the series or clinch a championship in Pittsburgh was the 1960 Pirates, Bill Mazeroski's greatest home run in the history of baseball. That was... Man, I would love to have been alive for that one. Uh, my uh, my junior high uh, social studies teacher. Uh, shout out to uh, Mr. Cray if you're watching, by the way. Uh, every day in class, he'd make some allusion to Bill Mazeroski's home run, <laughs> which which he was old enough to witness on on TV. Um, fun fact: he was also there for the immaculate. He was also at the immaculate reception game. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, he says he. He falsely thought that the play was over when the ball was deflected away. So he held his head in his hands and so did not get to see the actual immaculate reception, but um, looked up to see Franco running into the end zone. (laughs) But that was cool that he was there for the game. Um, So that was was, uh, number four. What a great moment in Penguins history and Pittsburgh sports history so why don't we get down to number three uh james harrison's pick six in super bowl 43 yes um i think again this we're talking about my momentum swings i think this was another one um you know because arizona was going for a touchdown at the end of a half and you know that's what a 14 point swing because if they score a touchdown they get you know that seven points um, but Harrison picks it off, and not only does he pick it off, he runs like 102 yards. I think it's 105, actually. 105 on the nose. What, 100 on the nose? Yeah. 100 yards all the way back, and then 
he gets there. Though, if we watched that play too, there should have been about blocking the back, but the refs didn't call it. <laughs> um, I forget who it was, but someone comes in late and just nails the dude who was chasing him from behind. But, um, and he the refs just didn't call it. And he goes 100 yards and then, like, collapses of utter exhaustion. Ugh, I Great. remember that. <laughs> He needed he needed oxygen after that. He did, yeah. I mean, he's a, he, he's a big man, and he ran a hundred yards full speed with like half the Arizona Cardinals chasing him. Yeah, I was gonna say, I was gonna say, you at home try putting on a full set of football pads and sprinting a hundred yards with eleven guys chasing you down. And being as big as he is too. Yeah, man. I don't even know. And that was pivotal too because, and we'll get to it, the, the game, the play that won us the game. But we were behind late in the fourth quarter, even with that touchdown. So if Arizona scores there and we don't, they probably win the Super Bowl. Yeah, oh, definitely. That's the difference between um, us winning and losing, as were a number of different plays in that game. Yeah. Ah, uh, jeez, that was just crazy. I think I remember. I think I think I remember. It seems so long the the replay review of that. Yeah, that was so close at the end because he actually he actually uh, was tackled before the end zone, but because he had rolled over Larry Fitzgerald's back, he <laughs> did not hit the ground until he was past the goal line. So I just uh, I remember I remember thinking the refs were gonna screw us over somehow by like overturning the call because it was the very end of the half. So if they had ruled him down at the one, we wouldn't have got to run another play. because time had run out. Yeah, it was the end. That was halftime. If if he doesn't, because that ended the first half. Yes, it did. That was that was how pivotal that was because if the the Cardinals score, then there's no way for us to come back. Because I think I don't I. I don't remember who got the ball first in the second half, but it might have been Arizona. Forget. Could have been Pittsburgh. I don't know. Um, but that was such a pivotal moment. Um, one of the one of the greatest moments in the history of Pittsburgh sports. And uh, yeah, it was crazy. Uh, not much more to be said about that because uh, this is one of spoiler alert two plays from this game that are on our list um and uh so with that we can move on to the second best moment in our lifetimes in pittsburgh sports history um this is another penguins moment this is uh traveling a bit back in time it's 11 years uh 2009 uh of course uh Penguins, as I had already stated in one of my honorable mentions, had been to the Stanley Cup final and uh, lost to Detroit to the Detroit Red Wings, who were then members of the Western Conference. Um, and then they ran the gauntlet again in 2009. They managed to take down the Philadelphia Flyers again um, in the first round, thanks thanks in part to a bit of encouraging from uh, Max Talbot who lost the battle, but won the war in the end, thanks to the infamous Shush. Uh, So we won that in six in Philly. And then, of course, as is uh, traditional with Penguins Cup runs, it seems, we uh, faced the Washington Capitals in the second round and fell back two games to none, uh, but came back and won four the next five, won the series in seven. Um... That was the first of three Crosby OV, or first of four, I guess now, Crosby OV playoff matchups. Um, and then, as as Chris went over before, that series against Carolina, where we utterly decimated the Hurricanes, roan about a town in four, swept them. They didn't stand a chance in pretty much any of the games. It was not even close. Um, then we get to the final. You know, fall down two games to nothing again against Detroit. Come into Pittsburgh, uh, win those games, lose five nothing on the road in Detroit. Eke out a two-one victory at home, and as Mike Lang said, met for all the marbles in Joe Lewis Arena. A year after the Red Wings had dashed our hopes at a cup. 
it was now time for us to take revenge. And who but the unsung hero of Max Talbot, of all people. I know he was the hero a year ago in that game five, but he came out with came out with a brace in game seven, two goals in the second period. Uh, that, that second goal was a nice little snipe over Osgood's glove with the two-on-one. I remember that. Um, but that's all leading up to this final moment. Detroit pulls one back uh, with about six minutes to go in the third period. And those last six minutes, again, talk about stressful moments to watch as a hockey fan where Detroit was just pounding and pounding on us. And it was just a matter of Bending, but not breaking, because Detroit was not going to give up. Their season had all come down to this. Their chance at back-to-back cups, which not many teams get to do, had all come down to that. Those final few minutes and trying to break through. Um, but uh, the Penguins had almost gotten the job done. Six, six and a half, six point five seconds left, if I remember correctly. Uh, it was so weird because the puck had actually got frozen in the corner before the face-off. They blew it dead. And that almost never happens anymore. That that was a relic of the 90s. Um, nowadays, they just tell you to fight for it in there. Um, but they actually stopped play because I guess they wanted a definitive conclusion. But throughout the sequence of events, that final face-off was the longest six and a half seconds of my life. If I I, I would agree, probably your life too, Chris. Yeah. It, it oh, was- man. What's horrifying about that moment is, again, watch it on YouTube, is with, I forget, I think, was it Lidstrom who got, I forget who got, I think it might have been Nick Lidstrom. The final shot, it was yeah. Lidstrom. It was, okay, that's what I thought, I thought it was Lidstrom. When Lidstrom gets it, that net's wide open. Like if, I don't know if he like didn't get a good grip, I'm not grip, but like good control and wanted to settle it down or what, but when he initially got it, it was a wide open net. He just had to snipe it. And then as he sees, and I think he's, as he shoots it, the net's still fairly open. Then you just see Flurry dive out of nowhere. Oh, and got there. I remember jumping up and down in my living room. Uh, like 12, maybe 13. Just screaming, running yeah, around. Man. That, was, that was me too. Oh man. I remember actually, uh, this has become tradition whenever the Pens win cups now. Um, which hopefully is a lot more often in the future. Um, but whenever it comes down to when we think it's going to happen, we always turn on uh, the stereo that we still have, turn it on to the Penn's radio network so we can hear Mike Lang's call. So I remember doing that, and um, I remember the NBC feed was slightly ahead of the radio call, so we got... We saw what happened before we heard what happened. Mm. Um, but I remember watching that moment and I remember my heart just kind of sitting there in my chest. It was like my heart stopped for that moment where Lidstrom fired it at the goal and then you see Flurry make that save. And then first it was this sigh of relief and then the jubilation, finally we had done it. Um, for first time in my life, I was able to see the Penguins win a Stanley Cup. Um, I know my dad had been waiting for 17 years. 1992 was the last time he saw a Cup winner. Um, it was so, so awesome to get it done against the same team that had taken us down in the Stanley Cup final a year prior. And I think Another another awesome feeling was uh, that I that sort of ha ha to Marion Hosa, who famously yep. famously ditched Pittsburgh for Detroit because he thought that was his best chance to win a cup. Uh, little did he know, however, that he would eat his own words. That was just such a great moment. Number two on our list, so obviously. That would leave you, but number one is. But uh, any final moments before we get to number one, Chris? Um, no, you mentioned a tablet. I mean, tablet two goals. Um, I think we've had everything. 
yeah man uh all right so it's all come down it's all come down to this uh, of course you probably already know where we're headed um number one continuing off of where we left off in number three uh i think we had a what was it a 13 point lead or something like that maybe it was only a 10 point lead no i think it was a 13 point lead I don't know. Was... I know we blew it though. Yeah, Larry Fitzgerald though was on fire for that second half, man. He mossed. Forget who he mossed, but he mossed somebody. Probably Ike Taylor, him. right? Uh, Ike Taylor. He mossed Ike Taylor to get him within a score. One of the that would have been remembered as one of the great catches ever, if if not for what happened after. But then I just I just remember uh, watching it. Uh, with the same people I'd watch the Paul and all the big six with, all, all my family at my grandma's. Um, I just remember the the words that came out of everybody's mouth when Leif Fitzgerald cut across the middle, evaded Troy Palomalu and our entire secondary for what we thought was the losing score. Uh, it was just, yeah, it was it was it was rough. There was there was a it was either dead silence or a brief utterance of some profane language that I can't <laughs> repeat on the air. Uh, but we, we, it was amazing how we just kind of legitimately thought there was no more help, that it was all over, and that we had blown it somehow. But of course, never doubt, uh, never doubt Big Ben, and um, who actually put on his. Uh, finest and probably one of his only fine performances in any of his three Super Bowls was this one drive here. Um, but it was basically Ben to Santonio, Ben to Santonio. We ran, we ran that that essential offense all throughout our drive, pretty much. Um, even despite the holding penalty on our first play, which was another big problem. Uh, but I remember we got down to the six-yard line thanks to another big play from Santonio Holmes. And uh, first and ten was almost a foreshadowing of the next play. It was the other side, though. It was pretty much the same throw, but uh, Santonio couldn't, couldn't bring it down. But then second down, man, I, I think what a lot of people underestimate is the throw Ben had to make. Because everyone remembers the catch and being able to keep both feet in bounds. Santonio Holmes, one of the greatest catches in professional football, any football history, will go down forever. Um, but that throw uh, where Santonio essentially had three guys around him. And there was no other place that Ben Roethlisberger was able, could have thrown that ball that wouldn't have resulted in that moment if he throws it high by a couple. It's over his outstretched arms, and we got third down. Um, if it's lower by a couple, it's picked off by Arizona, and they win. But he put it in the right spot, um, was able to find open space to throw thanks to a bit of scrambling, as only Big Ben can do. Prime Big Ben. Remember, this was only his fourth or fifth year. Um, he was able to find San Antonio, and then... I remember I, I, when I saw it first, I actually thought he was out of bounds. I didn't celebrate right away because I didn't think he caught it. And then I saw the replay and then I'm like, well, I think he caught it. But again, you know, it's that that feeling you always have deep down when they have a review. Like, what if the rep just says something different, especially considering, well, this was later, but all the stuff that's been happening with the Patriots, obviously that that hadn't happened yet. But um there's always that feeling in the pit of your stomach. So I don't think really the celebration for me kicked in until um, we until the referee confirmed the call. And then we were all jumping up and down like crazy. It was insane, man. <sighs> that moment was awesome. Ben had no right throwing the football there. He had no right to. That was triple. It was legit triple coverage. He threw yeah, that triple coverage. And and the other thing, the other reason I think it would have been the, the if, if if it's anybody but like Big Ben and like maybe Tom or Peyton, why that ball gets thrown away is because the Steelers were only trailing by a field goal. Um, 
if uh, the safe thing to do, obviously, would have been to throw that ball away, take another shot on third down, um, if if it's available. But if not, just settle for overtime on a on a short twenty some yarder from the um, ever reliable, at least at that point, Jeff Reed. But uh, but he took the shot. He went he went for all the marbles. Luckily. We he had such a, a, a an on fire receiver that day uh, to back him up, and he put the throw in the perfect spot for him to get it. Um, but what what a great moment! I remember I remember looking outside. It was snow on the ground, but people were I remember people were honking their horns all over the place. They were jumping out with no coat, basically as with few clothes on without getting prosecuted jumping in the snow doing snow angels yelling their lungs out drunk sober it didn't matter who you were it was it was one of the most surreal moments um as a pittsburgh sports fan to me to see you know obviously you know there's so many penguins fans and we we talked about what what how baseball can you know what baseball can bring out of the city but Nothing unites the city of Pittsburgh more than the Pittsburgh Steelers. Agreed. Nothing. You know, yeah. and I think that it, it was, it was crazy too because when Fitzgerald um, scored to put them up three, my dad even was like, "Game's over." Yep. And I said, "No, we have Ben and we have time." I said, "Those are two things we need. We have a good quarterback and we got time to score." I said, "We're fine." And then ultimately, we know what happened. Yes. Great game. It's a very underrated Super Bowl. I don't think it gets talked enough about nationally than like other Super Bowls. Yeah, I think because it was, I think it was a bit overshadowed by the one before it. I mean, not not rightly. I I I, I think if you look at if you look at forty three and forty two in their own capsules, I think you I think you probably say forty three was a bit better. But everyone remembered what Super Bowl 42 was, and you know, it was the classic underdog story of this, you know, this impossible team of the New York Giants going against the Dynasty Patriots, who looked like they would never lose ever, 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 uh, through licit or illicit means. <laughs> we could talk about that all day, um, but they did it. And of course, you have that iconic helmet catch. But what really sets 43 apart is that was just one play. The 43 had three outstanding plays that that could all be remembered and for its own glory. We, of course, the pick six for James Harrison we already talked about. That uh, Fitzgerald touchdown catch and run across the middle, and of course. Ten toes in the end zone with Santonio Holmes and Tampa Bay. Yep, I remember. I remember my aunt Patty. My aunt Patty got on KDK News because they were at the bar that KDK was at down in Tampa. Was the same bar that she was at. Uh, for those of you that don't know, my aunt Patty, she lives down in uh, Florida. She's probably listening to this right now. Shout out to Aunt Patty out there, uh, but yeah, that was a great that was a great moment. Um, to the unfortunately couldn't get tickets, but oh well. Um, but yeah, that's any more thoughts on number one? And I think you summed it up, dude. Yeah, that that so that's that is our top five, along with several honorable mentions, but our top five moments that we have been able to experience as they happened in Pittsburgh sports history. Uh, As always, you can hit us up, whether that's by email. We have one. You can contact us, pittsburghsportspodcast at gmail.com for your questions, reactions, comments, anything else you'd like to tell us uh comment below if you're watching this on our youtube channel uh your favorite pittsburgh sports uh moments that you have been able to witness um we always love hearing stories of pittsburgh sports fans and you know 
what what's going through you guys' minds as you're watching history unfold, whether that be in the stadium, if you're lucky, or live on TV, like most of us. <laughs> um, you can also hit us up on Twitter. You can find us at PGH Sportscast. Uh, I think that covers all bases for social media as of right now. Uh, but, Chris, any final remarks? Uh, I don't have anything to you. Nope. So, with that being said for Chris, my name is Ryan. Thank you all for listening to this episode of the Pittsburgh Sports Cast. We'll see you next time. Have a good one. Stay safe, everybody.